Welcome to season two of the Never Going Pro podcast by Dads Inside Riding Trainers featuring GC Coaching. It's a podcast about riding bikes and parenthood and trying really, really hard at both. I'm your host, Ken the Badger Nowell, and with me is Shane Gaffney, owner of GC Coaching. Hello, everyone. Good to see you, Shane. How are you? Very well, sir. How are you? Good, good. So we've got two really awesome guests. One is our second ever repeat guest. Uh, we have Matt Gardner and, and Holden Como from Saris, the Pro's Closet, the best uh, Zwift race team ever. So wow. um, let's get a couple of introductions. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Glad to yeah. be the second ever repeat. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's very cool. And Holden, been wanting to have you on for, uh, you know, an embarrassingly long time. I'm a bit of a fanboy. I watch all of your sprint <laughs> videos. Uh, so how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And I'm also psyched to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Awesome. So um, I, I want to tell our audience a little bit about these guys. He started off, um, did you come over from draft initially? I did. Yeah. Okay. Me and, gotcha. um, and a handful of the riders did. Gotcha. And then, so there was sort of this sort of marriage between uh, dirt, which is dad's inside riding trainers and indoor specialists, which we, you were both on for quite a while. And now you have um, gotten involved with Saris who makes all kinds of indoor training equipment. And um, I mean, even, you know, racks for the back of your car and the pros closet. So um, how's, how's that partnership going? Uh, it's uh, we, it's more than we could even put into words. I think it's uh, we, I don't, we, Matt started the team indoor specialist. Yeah, I guess 13, 16 months ago, a year and a half, year and a half ago or so, uh, with with Matt Brandt. Um, and prior to that, I hadn't been on a team. I was just sort of fiddling around. I, I used to follow the the KISS team around everywhere. Anywhere they would go and race, I would jump in those races and race against Sticky and, and those guys. <laughs> Sticky, probably, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, we started up Indoor Specialists and then sort of right at the gate, we had that awesome experience with US Nationals last year. But I think, you know, through the course of this year, I, don't, I was not expecting to be where we are right now. I think it's just, I mean, Saris has been incredible, and that whole experience was born out of um, us really wanting to um, find a, a good solution for us to race on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we've, we've been filtering through and trying all a bunch of different trainers, um, and I think we were having some challenges there, and we wanted to hook up with um, a company that could really help us out and meet the needs that we were looking for. I, I went through... Um, a competing brand I, I i went through five of them i broke them every month five five trainers in, in a month it wow it, was, it got really frustrating difficult we should also uh, clarify that holden is a sprint specialist on swift so he puts out ridiculous power for ridiculous periods of time so most trainers don't really stand up to his power but yeah, go ahead sorry i definitely was purposely trying to break them and every time i did i did that it was satisfying <laughs> Um, but uh, I mean, the, the sad, the Saris, uh, relationship has just grown and, uh, been incredible for us. And I think, you know, it's just exciting to be, um, uh, just part of the start of the sport. I think, uh, in the, the pros closet relationship has grown similarly. Um, and now we see what happened with COVID and, and bringing all the road teams on since outdoor is canceled. Um, it just is such an exciting time. And I, I just, we, Matt and I always joke with just how well positioned we felt for the past six months. We, you know, we just got a jump start on, uh, on, on being in this world. And now all eyes are on, on Zwift and esports. It's just really exciting. It's crazy. Where do you see the future of esports going? Like how, how high do you see this mountain being? We'll start with you, Matt. Um, it, that's, kind of a hard question because it's like is is cycling esports limited by people that are interested in cycling um like if you think of it like that like it it can it's going to grow a lot but um it, it can only get as big as cycling but hopefully the gaming world will will be captivated by it 
by the physical efforts and the video game aspect. And if you see games like League of Legends um, or Counter-Strike or Overwatch, like huge esports games, like it could be incredibly large. Um, it's, it could be one of the biggest video games of all time if, if it can captivate that audience. And I would love to see it grow like that. I think it would be, I think it, it uh, warrants that kind of attention. Um, just kind of takes time to grow the fan base. For sure, for sure. How about you, Holden? Uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, there's certainly an opportunity to engage fans in, into cycling, into sport in general, and just in, in, in a new way. Um, I think that would be really interesting if we could tap into um, just a totally new audience. Um, and, you know, the model is there. The esports in general is just so popular right now. If that becomes a new fan base for the sport, I think it would be, it would be incredible. I think, I, I think even before we get there, though, there's still, um, uh, you know, a need to, to get more buy-in, I think, from, from the existing professionals in this in our in our community um i think uh, it's been thrust upon everyone right now um i think the response has been been really good and exciting for the most part there's some i think there's some friction that um some riders and teams might not might not be you know might be waiting in a little bit with a little bit more hesitancy um for the most part i think it's been pretty great but i i think ultimately when you, what i'm excited to see is more um, sort of institutional investment coming out of the organizations and riders in general on figuring out a way how to incorporate esports into their existing businesses. Um, you know, I think it's different than um, it's different than like as far as disciplines goes, different than mountain biking versus road cycling, right? Because the athletes there don't have as much crossover, but I think there is more crossover between in real life road racing and esports racing. Um, so I think, I think it might be a little bit easier to have to sort of expand the, the, um, the, the arsenal of, 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 what, of how those athletes can compete. Um, and then, you know, ultimately it's all gonna come back to um, value that's driven back for the team sponsors. And that's real what I think is most exciting about it. I mean, for, for if, if I were a sponsor of a, of a outdoor pro team, um, sure. I'd be sort of driving that message to, to get involved with digital media activation somehow. Yeah. We had uh, Jeremiah Bishop and Nathan Gura on uh, the last podcast we did. And it's funny, the things that they wanted were more around like bike handling and more kind of skills-based stuff for, cause they both come from mountain biking background where like for me, I come from a road background. So I didn't really care about that stuff. I guess I want like more roots and like, I just want to crush it for an hour and just race people. I don't really care about where my guy is or Peloton. Well, I, I do care about Peloton, but like, you know, handling things like that. It's funny how, different disciplines want different things out of Zwift, you know? That is I think that's kind of the, the beauty of it is that it doesn't have, there could be multiple disciplines within Zwift. Like why wouldn't, why isn't there room for uh, uh, handling races where you have to be moving your avatar? And then there's just the standard Zwift race where um, you just go as hard as you can. Right. Yeah. And I think that is interesting. And, and also like reading some of the commentary, um, it's sort of a mixed bag of some, uh, from, from the UCI pro world, um, that just really didn't embrace this much. I mean, I, I don't really, Jonathan Voiter's, uh, um, I guess he's the director of EF education uh, pro team. I was just looking at some of his tweets and one of the ones he said um, is that looking at the power profiles from virtual tour de France today, these races, races do not mimic on road races or physiological requirements of on road of on road races at all. It's a totally vis uh, different beast. So, you know, I didn't really read into what he meant by that, but you guys race. So what do you see as some of those big physiological differences between what a world to, to a pro rider would need versus some of these, uh, the Zwift events and the big series that you've done so far? Yeah, I, it's so it, it's 
completely different beast. And I think um, something that we, we've like athletically or physiologically, I can't think of any other example. It's, it's like completely new. Um, uh, I always equate it to cyclocross. Have you done cyclocross before? That's the closest I've been able to come to mimicking it with a really hard start, 30 to 60 minute races, and then you're just totally fresh and you're totally crushed by the end of it. Have you ever done cross before? Yeah. I, th- I, I mean, that is definitely that intensity of the effort I think is, is, is probably similar and, and it's really punchy. I found the, I found that the, the game component and, and like, because we spend so much time trying to find efficiencies and play the, the game, the game sort of forces us to adapt physiologically in a totally new way. So I, I look at like the punchiness of cyclocross and just take that to an even further extreme. I'm always thinking like on a per pedal stroke basis, you know, I'm constantly thinking about how much power I'm putting out at any given moment. Cause that's how you, control the game right the, your legs sorry your controller and that forces an adaptation something like a, a physiological adaptation it might be con like that might contrast and be something negative maybe if you're trying to race on the road because it's so different um and it's too early to, to tell I, I mean and uh and matt probably rides outside maybe a little bit more than i do i've been i've been outside a couple times this year can count on one hand but I definitely feel as though, uh, I mean, I, I know I've never been as strong on the bike in my life than I am after right now. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm changing physiologically to adapt to this new style of riding. And, you know, if that uh, is transferable to anything else, I'm not quite sure yet, but it definitely feels as though it's created new strength that I've never had before training in some other way. I would say one of the, uh, one of the big things that I think for the world tour pros who are doing like the tour de France is are they're realizing is how much internal motivation you really need to have in a Zwift race. Whereas outside, like when you've got someone, when you're dropping someone and you can like feel them off your shoulder, like that's such a good feeling and you don't get that on Zwift. So it's like, it's really like how bad do you want it? And um, for some people, like I'm a time trialist. So I, I like love that feeling. Like, really making myself hurt. That's like something that I, that's just, yeah, it's an eight for me, but you know, these, some of the world tour pros who are probably real like thrive on a climb with when they're challenging someone while on Zwift, they've got to like, they've got to like rile themselves up on a trainer in their living room with a fan blown at them. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's totally different. And, and I think that that mental piece will take some time for the pros to overcome. Um, and it will take some discipline because um, they're still going to race on the road. And if they can ride outside, they're going to do so. Um, Great point. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. And one thing that I notice is when I watch some of these races that, I mean, I mean, I see better tactics in cat B races than I saw with the, the virtual tour de France. And I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And they're dropping power ups way too early and um, getting sticky drafted and they don't even realize what's going on. Um, the one, the woman that won stage three, she was a Zwifter and she ended up getting her pro contract through, um, whatever the sort of talent Zwift search. Academy. Yeah. Zwift, Zwift Academy. Academy. I think it was stage three. That was last Saturday. Um, she was the, the winner of the stage. Tanya yep. mm-hmm. And she said she had to get back in the rhythm of Zwift racing in the last couple of weeks. And there certainly is a, a rhythm to it. There is understanding how the power-ups work. Uh, understanding how the draft works. And these are things that um, there's right. And also seeing that the rarity of a Zwift breakaway, which is a really hard problem for Zwift to figure out. Like I'm sure they would love to see breakaways start to succeed. Um, And I'm curious to know like, well, well, why don't they, you know, why don't they succeed? And I don't know, maybe you could give me a little bit of your input on that. I think that, um, it's it's so hard to like to know where to draw the line of how Zwift is different than outdoor racing, you know. And breakaways 
I mean, uh, on the one hand, it adds a strategic element to the race that's that's entertaining and it gives you, you know, something else to consider when you're trying to win a race. Um, but on the other hand, like maybe Swift racing just doesn't need to have breakaways mm. because that's just not what it is. I've found that Swift, like most of the time, Swift is about attribution and not getting dropped, right? Getting dropped happens all the time. Little gaps open up. And if you're on the back, if you're struggling, if you don't manage momentum, if you, you know, you, that, like if you come out of the draft momentarily, you're going to get dropped. And so that's a, that's a more, that's a stronger tactic. That's something that I think is totally unique to Zwift and it has a comparable sort of strategic effect as, as breakaways do on the road. Um, so I don't know, I, adding breakaways, they'd solve that. Um, I, I think would be interesting, but I don't know if we necessarily need to, there's, I think there's always going to be a lot of differences okay. between road riding and, and, and Zwift racing. I think the, the, specifically breakaways, I think it comes down to the length of the race. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm speaking out of turn sort of, cause I haven't done any road racing or criteriums. Uh, I was a triathlete and time trialist. So, but a four hour road race over 200 kilometers or five hour road race, you know, why not let some guys go off the front, see if they can go. Maybe we, we've got three hours to reel them in um, or like a two hour long crit, like, you've got time to let it happen, but the shorter the race is, the more antsy you get. And then I also think, like I said earlier, that you can't see your competitors. So you are a lot more antsy um, and just kind of on just waiting to watch someone try and make a move and then follow that wheel. It's just like, it's hard to let people go on Swift. Yep. I would say you've hit the nail on the head with road racing and crits, sometimes but road racing that's usually more the there's frequent attacks and frequent attempts and then if the mixture is right then people let them go like the teams let them go and then they reel them back in in the last 10k or so but the mixture has to be right for that breakaway to go especially if you watch like the tour de france from the get-go you'll see you know a dozen attacks try they all get reeled in until the mixture's right and then they go uh, criterion racing, I think it's more out of sight, out of mind. So if you can get around that corner before the main group comes, then you have a much better chance of making it last because nobody can see you. But on Zwift specifically, they actually changed the algorithm for the drafts in the Tour de France racing mm. to make it more realistic as opposed to the drafting algorithm for like a typical Zwift race. It's super... It's super aggressive if you're getting dropped and it's not aggressive at all if you're off the front. So like the, the pack, the size of the pack has a huge effect on how fast that pack goes. But yeah, they did change the algorithm for these with races for the tour. That's and really, that, so that makes it more prone to big blobs. The traditional one makes it more prone event. to big blobs. The right. tour one makes it more prone to breakaways succeeding and breakaways occurring. Because it's it's more of a natural draft, I guess. When you say a natural draft, because it, it, with with Zwift, it's sort of a, a flat percentage. You're either in the draft or you're not in the draft. Is it sort of on off, or no? It's it's more the the blob effect, which you hear a lot. The blob effect isn't as strong in the tour races as it is mm. in a typical race. So, okay. like if it's if it's a huge blob, it still goes just as fast as a regular blob would. Okay. But if it's a Zwift race, the blob goes crazy fast compared to just one single rider. Okay, interesting. Um, and yeah, I think you brought up another good point too with the Zwift Academy, Ken, where when we do the Zwift Academy, where you know we look at hundreds of thousands of athletes' data and we're trying to narrow it down to the top three male, top three female, but the data we're using is all through Zwift. So it's interesting to try to make the carryover from who's going to be a great you know, outdoor road racer with 40 minutes of Zwift data. It's, it's very interesting to make that kind of leap into it. That's crazy. Has, you, sorry, has there any results from that? Like what's the assessment? There's been a few of those Zwift academies, right? Are those riders? Yeah, this is the off? fourth year now. Uh, we're just, we're gonna start that up in August. So we're kind of working on that right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first three years have been very successful, more so for the women than the men. Um, Women have had a lot of success for Zwift Academy. The men have had some fair success, but um, not as much as the women. 
but I mean, if you get a great athlete, it's his, he or she is going to be a great athlete on outdoor on Zwift or whatever, you know, um, you two are perfect examples of that. You're super great athletes, great at triathlon, and then you can make the transition to Zwift racing pretty easily too. Um, which is cool. And I also wanted to point out before we sort of move into some of the other uh, questions that we have prepared, um, just sort of a lost opportunity. Holden, you had mentioned that maybe Zwift doesn't need the breakaway. The the same, you just have to look at it with a different set of eyes. If you look at it with the same set of eyes as you were looking at a road race, there's a lot of things that you could overlook, like getting people dropped. Whereas you know, one thing that I think is an opportunity missed in these tour stages is they started showing um, the the pack after they had already left the pins. And in a real Zwift race, that's the most exciting part. You know, it's not a neutral rollout behind a little red car, you know, for the first half hour is everybody waves right through the, <laughs> right through the towns and France, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, Oh God, I really don't want to do this to myself. And that like the next six, seven minutes are just hell until things settle down. And I didn't see that, especially I, I don't, I don't know that they televised that on the first uh, few stages. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I know they, they cut in after a couple K. They cut yeah, that off. That's um, whack. That's just lame. To condense the broadcast time, I guess. But it's funny you mentioned that. What was the one that you guys were in it um, January, February, March? It was one of the first mixture of like a pro, a pro tour teams and Zwift community teams. I think it was a Zwift Classics. Was Zwift Classics? Yeah. And that, that was a disaster for the actual pro teams because they all got dropped as soon as the start happened yeah i think i think zwift had made a big uh they had done some pr around tom pidcock um he he came around and actually won a a race solo off the front so he he earned his stripes there but the first race i think he got dropped like in the first five minutes and was yeah it was not not pretty for him not pretty at all no well there was others his is the first that comes to mind but because they made all the advertisements about him but um but yeah well, even uh, I know you, Matt, from CV Arcade, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I think yeah. right. And when you went toe to toe with uh, Lionel Sanders during that that hill climb, it's like, who the hell is this guy trying to go toe to toe with Lionel Sanders? And you came right behind him. It's crazy. Yeah, that was kind of unexpected, to be quite honest. I, yeah, I I was really kind of a noob going into that, and I didn't really know how strong I was or anything, and just. Uh, I think ignorance was bliss there. And I, me and him swam that morning at a, a pool, oh, yeah? like, yeah, like 40 minutes outside of uh, the velodrome and yeah, we were chatting. And then, yeah, that was, that was a very intense weekend. That was a lot of fun. That was a were wild you racing weekend, in man. the pool too? <laughs> no. Oh no. I am not a good swimmer. So cool. But yeah, it was fun. Live events are once this pandemic's over, I, that was something that I really thought this year was going to be big on was some live events from Zwift. And man, the pandemic really uh, put the kibosh on that, which is too bad. Yeah, that would have just that I can't wait for those to happen. I mean, that's so exciting. Yeah. Such, such an interesting thing. I mean, I, yeah. I went to one, you got to participate in one. It's like my dream. Before I get too old and my knees fail <laughs> on me, I, I, gotta, I need to race somewhere live. It just is, it seems like such a cool experience. I love it. That's actually a pretty good segue. Because um, the next question is kind of more along, you know, the quote haters where, you know, they think Zwift racing isn't real racing because you're on a computer and you're playing a game, blah, blah, blah. What do you guys have to say, if anything, you know, to those haters? What's your response? We'll start with you, Matt. I just, I, it's different. I, that's just really all you can say. It's just not the same. If you're, if you're, if you really like traditional road cycling and aren't good at Zwift, well, it, it's just different. So sure. That, that's about it. Yeah. I, I kind of see it for what it is. I think it's just people who just, you know, don't appreciate the new innovation and they also are pretty passionate about something else that they do. Um, you know, it's not going to go away. It's not, you know, it's not, there's, this no. is here, here to stay. It's just only going to expand and get more exciting. Um, so yeah, I don't pay too much mind. My biggest gripe that I've seen from like traditional cyclists who are, or don't like Zwift at all 
is that they think it's like taking something away from cycling, but it's opening the door for so many people who, who want to, to race. Like I would have never gone and done a criterium, um, in my life. And I went, I've, I raced outside once. I happen to take Zwift racing pretty seriously if you guys didn't know, but really? my, most people, most people, this would be a, a, a gateway drug to get into uh, traditional road cycling. Um, and I don't know why anyone would look at Zwift and say, Oh man, that's really going to ruin our sport. Well, I think it, it just opens the door for people who might be timid and not, um, I mean, it like dirt is a huge community where people grow confidence and meet people and, and want to branch out. And I think that's pretty great. Sure. I think that that's such a great point, and and I mean even connecting back to the idea of like I like I talent ID, like the making that possible. If that's actually something that's working, you know, we're giving opportunities to like young new riders to actually race and compete potentially at like a world class level, you know, in the weekday in the morning from their house. That that's got to be you know good for opening up like to find new riders and, and growing the sport um yeah i just think it's a it's a new a new new channel altogether yeah and it'd be a shame if there if there you know continues to be too much division between the like the, the disciplines and I, I don't i don't necessarily think that's going to happen no sure and you know a couple of, a couple of sort of insights that I've had, you know, being in my mid forties, I have a lot of cyclist friends that are my age and, and plenty older and they just couldn't wrap their head around, you know, why should I spend money on a smart trainer? Um, why should I do Zwift? Their experience with indoor cycling sucked. I mean, because it really was bad before there were uh, electronic platforms to, to do these things. I mean, I remember, um, what was that guy he used to set up in like a high school gym? Um, Spinnervals. Spinnervals. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, Spinnervals. Um, the, the music was bad. <laughs> and, you know, you had these DVDs and you watched them over and over again and you just couldn't. I mean, it was it was a pretty, a pretty miserable experience. So and then some of my friends have finally tried it out and they're like, Oh yeah. I was like, man, this is what I've been telling you. It's cool. It's not bad. It's not even like, it's its own fun thing. In addition to riding outside, it's, it doesn't take away from anything. It is actually, uh, and you'll find that when the springtime comes around that you're ready to ride, you don't have to go through this whole thing of getting your legs back again, getting your lungs back again. And then as a Nike coach, um, you know, a high school mountain bike coach, I see this generation of young competitors, the ones that are taking it seriously, um, they're coming up and they're getting involved in Zwift and it's, it's huge for their training. They have coaches that can send them their workouts and they can upload them. Plus that they can get the, the, uh, to race in a safe environment where they can really push themselves and cut their competitive teeth and not have to worry about crashing, not having to worry about paying, paying race fees. And so, I mean, I think for the, especially these, these kids that are coming up through middle school and high school right now, it's going to be huge. I think a lot of people also come to Zwift and don't, um, they don't engage with the community aspect of the game. And so to them, it's just like, it is just spinnables. They just see other people yeah. riding and they're like, Oh, well, I'm on my trainer and yeah, I'm riding through London. And that isn't a very fun experience um, unless you already like really enjoy Zwift. But the people who like go into Facebook groups and find uh, like-minded individuals and, you know, like group up or join a, a team. I think that is like the biggest piece that makes the game addicting and, and really fun. Definitely. Oh, and not to knock the spinnerables. It's the best we had back then. And I'm glad he was doing it. You know, like he actually responded to one of my blog posts when I, when I kind of said some funny stuff about him and he was, he was pretty, uh, he was pretty good natured about it. That's hilarious, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, all right, let's go back to racing again. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, I guess the, the main complaint is regarding cheating, which has been a complaint from e-racing since it's really come about. So, um, 
we talked about this with uh, Nathan and uh, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah brought up naked weigh-ins at a post office. <laughs> yeah, where they awesome. have calibrated scales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <Next level. laughs> aside from doing that, what do you guys think we could do to uh, just improve overall transparency and e-racing? And, you know, I love Scotty Weiss, but not, maybe potentially not have another Scotty Weiss type situation. We'll start with you again, Matt. Well, I think Zwift made a pretty good uh, step forward towards um, like their next plan. Um, I know it, it's like the bio passport. So like our whole team, we did uh, like we have outdoor tests that we all did um, on climbs that were a, a certain gradient. Um, and then we also did this, uh, it's called the three sisters test, which is like a videoed uh, control test where you have to record multiple power sources get to show like different camera angles, your game screen has to be visible. Um, it's pretty much cheat proof um, way to verify your racing setup. And I think that they, they, they had us do that back in June. And so now um, they haven't had a, a race yet to implement that, um, that piece, but I think that they've made that step forward. And I think that will be uh, a pretty big step a, a pretty big control for the races going forward for sure. And that's at like, that's at like pro pro-am level racing with the sanctioned events. And, um, you know, they're, I agree. They're, they're making progress. Um, and it's still going to have an element of like what exists on the road where, you know, that there's got to be more teeth that, are sort of built into the punishment, you know, that if, if um, there's always going to be that element um, that it's going to be possible to game the system in some way, just as it's possible to game in real life. Um, there's going to be some stronger, I think, governance and oversight over that. And that's on like the pro side of things, but I think sure. there's also needs to be addressed on, on the amateur side as well. I mean, it's, it's, it, uh, it's not just like, not just no fun it just kind of ruins ruins a race experience yeah absolutely you know and and that needs to be addressed somehow i i imagine that having um you know a big data analytics solution to that is going to be part of it it's where you know all of the all of our data is at at swift all you know all of our history and creating some type of like um you know predictive intelligence around what you have done historically and leveraging that to see if what you're doing now is in line with what you've done historically and maybe trying to wait trying to find a way to take some action on that in the game um that might be part of it i think the the scale problem i don't know why this hasn't been done yet i feel like the scale problem is something for the trainers to solve doesn't that make sense shouldn't the trainer just be able to weigh us when we get on it yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so you you know how to feel I'm naked away at a post office? You know, right. you know that? <laughs> I mean you I could build it, you could definitely right. like build it into a rocker plate or something like that, um, which would be interesting. And yeah. um I think Zwift purchased Zwift power, they've taken it over now. Is that the rumor that was floating around today? Yeah, so I think they took control. Um, and all the all the data merged from Zwift Power servers over to the actual Zwift servers. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out um, because, you know, one thing that we were we were discussing on the Dirt Discord channel today is how big of a problem um, it is if you're a you're, you're brand new and you jump into your first race or your first few races, you don't even know that Zwift Power exists in that you know, that your, your results aren't official or you get blown out of the water by somebody who's doing, you know, nine Watts a kilogram for 20 minutes and he's in a cap C race. And, you know, you don't realize that, um, that there is some sort of minor verification that's even available. Yeah. Honestly, for me, I like stumbled upon Zwift power accidentally. Cause I, I was on Zwift, um, rehabbing my broken collarbone and, I was like, I wonder like if there's a Facebook group for this. And I, I just like, I don't even know how I did it, but somehow I ended up in multiple, the Zwift racers and Zwift riders. And um, yeah, I kind of like, that's where I think the community piece is so important. It's those people who aren't asking those questions like, Oh, I wonder if there's something more and digging a little deeper. 
Yeah, I think, Holden, you had a pretty correct versus what I think they're going, and they're just going to use the power of data to inform if it's you know legit or if it's baloney. Um, and I know that you do a lot of data analysis with um, Silverline Athletics. Um, do you have any, this is kind of a sidebar, but do you have any specific data points you think they should use or any like specific uh, strategies they should implement? I've always felt as though heart rate or heart rate variability is a, like a, is an important metric. I think it kind of gives new life to the value of measuring your your heart rate. Yes, I, I feel like heart rate over time is should should remain more stable than power output yeah. threshold. You know, that's got more variation with it over over time because it's relative to fitness. I felt like heart rate's a little bit more static, and you know, and um, might be a, an important metric to include in, in some type of like variance measure or something. Um, and maybe there's something that can be measured that easily that's not being measured right now. I don't know. I, I just thinking of things. Yeah. I don't know if there is, but I just want to get your opinion because now you do a ton of data analytics and I'm into data analytics myself. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it's actually out of that interest that I found Zwift. It was really like, yeah, out of professional interest, I've been my company was kind of connected to active in, enthusiast world, and we were connected to in real life events uh, and anywhere that athletes were sort of gathering around event experiences or where we were focused. And Zwift, from that perspective, was was gathering athletes and doing it in a digital ecosystem, which just like is a data person's dream. Yeah. That's, that's why I got excited about it all. Um, my, my business partner actually told me about it and, and uh, I quickly became hooked. That's awesome. So was that before or after you broke the Guinness World Record for 160, 160 <laughs> folks RPM for one hour? <laughs> yeah. Wait, Let's talk about I, that for a minute. I don't even, I can't even wrap my mind around it. That's yeah, ridiculous. I don't know how I got into it. It was, it was, so I did this, it was a charity event, a spin-a-thon, 24-hour spin bike, we rode spin bikes. And it was, it was we we're set out to set a Guinness world record with a team of six guys to see how far we could pedal a spin bike in 24 hours. And uh, and we did it in, in Grand Central Station in New York City, in like the in like the main room, um, uh, and it was miserable. And so along the, and along the way, <laughs> each, you know, six guys we each took four one-hour shifts, um, and after our first shift was over, the Guinness person there's literally literally a Guinness person standing there for 24 hours on the stage with wow. <laughs> watching the whole thing. It's it's um, and yeah, after we all did one round, the guy told us that we could all go for the hour record if we wanted. And of course I had to go for that. So yeah, I got, uh, my teammate got it before me and then I, I, I beat him by just a little bit. And then my, another teammate like almost nipped me at the end, but he didn't, he didn't make it. <laughs> that is nuts. Do you still own it? Uh, no, I, oh, well, I own the team, the 24 hour one. Yeah. But some other guy broke the hour record and he, and he blew me out of the water. It's like, it's ridiculous. Like 200 or something. Uh, yeah, it had to be because so, that's what it, that it was measured just by revolutions of the flywheel. So we just turned the resistance all the way off on the flywheel and, you know, it's a spin bike, so it's a fixed gear. And we just tried to get it going as fast as you can. And then the whole goal was to, the only thing we are focused on was not coming unclipped, you know, just kind of <laughs> stay loose and ride on, ride on it. But yeah, I averaged like 160, 170 RPMs for an hour. And it, was, I, I, it ruined like the rest of my year. I was <laughs> couldn't walk for weeks. Oh it my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it though, I guess. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I got a little certificate. My kid thinks it's awesome. Oh, <laughs> well, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think it alludes to his sprint ability, like being able yeah. to sustain and really crank your legs that fast. That I can't do that. I think I can do 160 RPMs for like 30 seconds, maybe. So, so Holden, as far as, as your power profile goes, um, what is – is it uh, – 
that you have a really high level 10 second power, 20, 30 second power? Like what is it that gives you that advantage? Um, I always think that my, that it's my one minute power actually. Okay. My, my one minute power is really very good. It's okay. surprisingly good to me. And yeah, I've never seen Holden do a very short, he tends to wind up and just go yeah. forever. I think, I mean, there's that, I can definitely punch it like a high power, but I, I think I can do it because that lead in that last minute doesn't hurt me that much. I'm, I'm I can, I can sustain that ramp up at the end. So when it's actually time to go kick, I, I have, a, I'm not really that worn out um, at that point. So I don't know. That's just always what I found. I certainly like focus on, on max power and trying to get that kick to be as high as I can. Um, but, you know, relative to, I look at like training peaks and see like where I'm good, you know, on that little comparison power threshold comparison charts. And my one minute power is just off the charts. It's, it's like really crazy to me. How so what is it? Can you say? Um, so it's about a thousand watts for a minute. Oh my god, like, it's crazy! Like over thir- oh, it's oh, between twelve and thirteen watts per kilo. That's yeah. pretty good. It <laughs> is. It's very good. <laughs> and so, and this is, and this is the thing that's frustrating to me is you know why um, Sarah's the pros closet isn't in the virtual tour de France. You know, and it seems like that's one thing is there is this partition between the Zwift race, you know, the Zwift e-race community and the pro community, and they're not really mingling very well. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I would think that potentially the, the teams said, we will do a virtual tour de France as long as there are no Zwift pro teams. I think I'm, I'm sure that there is somewhat of a sour taste um, for, for us. And they, I'm sure there are writers who think that we like make a mockery of the sport and that, and yeah, I, that's what I feel like that it was like a bargaining chip that they're like, yeah, we'll do it, but no, no community teams. And I would love the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I try, I try to, I get, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, Matt, as well. You know, there, it's sort of like, I mean, the Tour de France in particular feels like this is Tour de France and it's meant for, this was, this was for those teams. Mm, Yeah. I, I, I I can see where you're coming from with that. Like it's a real bummer that they're not, you know, there in July doing this. Um, and then I know, you know, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording um, about nutrition. I think that you, you all wanted to sort of talk about that a little bit. And Shane, you may have had some questions in nutrition and training. Yeah. So uh, both Matt and Holden come from a triathlon background and Holden was a pro. Um, I'm not sure the distance he was a pro in, but I know Matt did Ironman. Um, so, you know, ridiculously long, hardcore ultra endurance events. And then you have that juxtaposed with what they do now, which is 40 minute full gas efforts. So kind of two questions. One is how has your training changed to, um, reflect the, the, the racing on Zwift and B, how has your nutrition changed to fuel those efforts compared to long endurance rides? Well, so yeah, I, I came, I did um, half Ironman was the, the distance that I focused on in triathlon Sorry. and no, yeah, I, I never got crazy enough to do a full Ironman. We'll that's say a, you did a full a, for this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, I, what's weird is I do most of my racing at between four and six in the morning. Um, so the nutrition is, is, is kind of a small piece for me because my, I might do like a 15 minute warm up and then jump into that effort. And so I don't really need a whole lot. I might have a gel. Um, if, if I know it's going to be a particularly hard or long race, but, um, uh, definitely have some coffee before, but yeah, when I was in doing a half Ironman, if I woke up and did a five hour bike ride at starting at seven in the morning, I had to eat a whole lot. And the, the effort was, was very much easier. Um, and I ate, throughout the whole um workout but yeah so i guess 
just to go a little deeper, because I know you track everything on MyFitnessPal for five years now, which is pretty impressive too. Another possible Guinness World Record. So, <laughs> yeah. how has the how is the macro breakdown percentage changed from your half iron days till your Zwift racing days? And calories too. I'm curious. Um, so, I I track for calories and and not macros. Okay. I think I would, I think I would drive myself mad trying to, to really like nail my macros. Um, I, I eat a lot of, I would say garbage, but what's your, I, what's your I favorite burn a lot of calories. <laughs> Donuts. Donuts. Before. That's not bad. Yeah. You should see what Kenny eats on a daily basis, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think my biggest, uh, I, my biggest thing that I eat is cereal. I'll like, I'll crush like half a box of cereal in one sitting. No problem. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I've been logging for like 2000 days. I wouldn't, I don't think my food intakes really changed all that much. Um, I think what's surprising is I'm, I'm doing, I'm burning as many calories as I did when I started triathlon cause I've gotten stronger and I'm pushing more Watts on the bike. Right. Um, and I'm doing, I'm doing more hours on the bike right now than I did for most of the, the racing I did for half Ironman. So I'm doing like 14, 15 hours on the bike. Um, the last few years I did like 20 hour weeks for triathlon, but, um, yeah, I've been riding a lot. Um, and you burn a lot of calories doing Zwift races for sure. Yeah. How about you Holden? I've been, um, uh, well, I guess first, what were you a pro, uh, in what, um, what distance? I uh, started in Olympic distance, uh, and tried some non-drafts, uh, and draft legal stuff as well. Um, my run just wasn't where it needed to be for a lot of that stuff. But then as I got older, I got slower and went longer. So I did my, my ended up the last two years. I was focused on a couple Ironman awesome. that, that didn't go very well for me. Um, I walked for 20 miles of the Lake Classic. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a long but, walk. That's a good nod to your we mental we fortitude, did, man. We so break every mile at like the aid stations that were there. Oh bodies that were there it's not not a fun afternoon uh, <laughs> but uh yeah so i i kind of went through all of that and and you know got got pretty focused on on nutrition for training and racing and now i don't have to think about that at all i don't i don't really think too much about nutrition i've been trying been going through a process inspired by my teammates um, to, to eat more healthy, eat more healthy foods and maybe lose a couple pounds. Cause I'm the biggest guy on the team. Um, and I can't go up the hills with these guys. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I don't really need to think about nutrition for racing and I don't really think about nutrition for training cause I really don't train that much. I just race all the time. Um, so definitely interesting. I think I'm like Matt, um, I race in the morning as well. So I wake up from the time I wake up to when the race starts is like, 45 minutes maybe so i have coffee sometimes i eat nothing before the race goes um and other times i'll grab like a cereal bar or something uh and then it's funny after the race is over i'm usually not that hungry either for a little bit um yeah i think i'm out training wise i definitely am like the amount of time i'm riding my bike now is considerably less than like triathlon training hours i was basically doing all of this bike time plus comparable volume and swimming and running as well. Right. Um, yeah. So much, much less. And that, that has been, um, that's been the, the most fun part about this is to just figure out how to be a completely different athlete and, yeah. and have success at it. And, you know, the, the amount of time I think about recovery now, when I was in triathlon, I never thought about recovery. It was always just like doing my daily work. And I underestimated that recovery time. And now I don't take that for granted at all. Yep. I have the same way from the coaching perspective, because I've had a new, you know, really a new type of athlete I've worked with for the last three years now, which is the Swift racer. And, you know, I didn't have any experience with, with anybody that just did Swift races before this. So it's been interesting for me to kind of learn more at same thing, nutrition, training, how everybody does it. You know, it's pretty cool. Um, cool. All right. So Ken said, yes, I are at the hour. 
So do you have anything else you want to touch upon or any kind of closing remarks, closing statements you want to leave our audience with? Definitely a plug for your sponsors. Um, tell us a little bit about them. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm sure they'd love to hear that. Yeah, so uh, our, our team is Saris, the pros closet. Um, Saris makes the incredible indoor training equipment. Um, we all race on the, the Saris H3 smart trainer, which um, Holden has yet to break it, which is, which is saying something. Um, it's really a, a racing machine that um, is a joy to ride. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the pros closet is one of the, are they the largest reseller of, of bikes? Um, and I'm pretty sure they are. And then they sell, so they have a, like a huge inventory that changes daily. So for someone who's like thinking about buying a new bike, if you go on their site, it's, it's very tempting. Um, every single day there's, there's new bikes to buy. And it's, uh, if you don't, if you don't buy them, then, uh, that they might be gone tomorrow. So it's, it's, it's like good. the best social media feed. You can just scroll through all these incredible bikes. Cause that's sort of their thing as well. They, they resell bikes, but they resell really nice bikes and, and it's just at, at great prices. It's just a lot of fun to, to check them out. And yeah, they're like, they're gone in, in a day. If you don't buy it, like right when you see it, <laughs> it's going to be snatched off the site. Very cool. Well, so you can, you can check that out online. Um, also you can check out, uh, where Holden was featured in an article in outside magazine. So definitely go and, and check that out as well. Um, thank you both for, for coming on board today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and, and what's your next big race or big race series. We don't know. We, uh, we haven't had word on what the next uh, pro-am event is, but I'm, I would think that after this tour de France is wrapped up that Zwift will have a, uh, a community, um, tour de France, so, so to speak. Um, so looking forward to, to doing that if it, if that's what comes to fruition. Cool. And maybe, maybe one day we'll hear some announcement and, and another nationals and world championships happening at some point in the future. I'm holding out for that, but yeah, that, yeah. That is eyes on the prize for national championships, world championships. I think you will. Yeah, definitely. That's going to have to happen. Well, thank you both and have a great, uh, have a great evening. And we appreciate you coming on to the never going pro podcast ride on, and we will see you in Watopia. Tokyo.